0: All right, well, welcome to those of you watching at all of our campuses and to those of you who are tuning in online with us, always honored to have you join us today as well. We are kicking off a brand new series called We Owe It To You. And every year, a few of us go away to plan out the message series titles and topics for the whole year. It's two days of planning and praying and asking God, what do you want to say to our church this next year? And recently we went and our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, went on this epic rant we started talking about personal finances, and he said, you know, if we don't teach them how to handle their money, who is going to do that? And then he made this statement. He said, we owe it to them. And that's really the heart behind this series, that we owe this to you. I mean, maybe when you were eight years old, you took Financial Peace University. Maybe when you were you know, a younger kid, your parents had you set aside 15% of your Halloween candy as an emergency fund in case a disaster hit. But I'm guessing that's probably not the case. Most of us learn how to handle our money simply by watching our parents, whether that's good or bad. We've had very little instruction on this. And so today's message is titled, Make Your Money Behave. Many people wonder where their money's going. They look around, they're like, I don't know. I mean, I I thought I made more. I'm not sure what we're spending it on. They wonder where their money is going. God's plan is different. God wants us to tell our money where to go. Look what financial expert Dave Ramsey has to say about this. He says, when you make your money behave, it stretches and goes further. Now, no need to raise any hands, but how many of us here would say, I'd like my money to stretch a little bit. I wish I was free from the stress and anxiety that surrounds my finances. I wish I had a little bit of margin in case my brakes go out or my dishwasher breaks down. I wish that I had the capacity to give more to the causes that God cares about in this world. Well, you can, but it starts by getting financially free. I told this story before, but a few years ago, my oldest son, Micah, his baseball team was taking a surprise team outing to the Twins game. So the way it worked was they told the kids they were going to have team pictures, but really they were taking them down to Target Field. We were supposed to drop Micah off at five o'clock and they said to us, they said, put some money in an envelope so they'll have money for food at the game. Well, we were supposed to drop them off at five o'clock. At 4.30, my wife calls me on my cell phone. She says, how much cash do you have? I said, well, I don't know. She said, Check. So I'm driving down the road, trying to fumble through my wallet, on the phone, driving. I said, I got three bucks. She's like, we're in trouble, I have 10. Now normally $13 would be plenty of money to send your kid with for dinner, but have you eaten at a Twins game recently? Last time I went to a Twins game, I had Red Cow's 60-40 burger. It's 60% beef and 40% bacon. Now when I heard 40% bacon, I mean, I was all in. I would have paid $50 for that burger. So I considered the $14 that it actually cost me to be a bargain. But $13 is not enough to get dinner at the Twins game. So Sarah said, what are we going to do? I said, well, there's really only one thing we can do, take money from our kids. And so when I got home, I was like the Gestapo. I mean, I burst into my son Hudson's room, looking under his mattress, under his pillow, in case he forgot some tooth fairy money or something. We've never done this before. So my daughter, who was six at the time, was just screaming. And my son Jasper, who was four, had a complete meltdown. Jasper's money was sitting in a glass jar in our kitchen. And I went through and I took out his $4 cash. And he started screaming don't take my paper money. I said, I left your coins. But he's smart. He knows it's all about the George Washingtons at that age. And so he kept yelling, don't take my paper money. It got so bad that an hour later, we were at my other son's baseball game. And as we're in the car pulling up, Jasper is still screaming, daddy took my paper money. I thought, we are not getting out of this car and letting other people hear this. So it was time to negotiate a little bit. I said, Jasper, what if when I pay you back, I give you more money than I took? Through tears. He was like, how much? (laughs) I said, well, I took $4 from you in the first place. What if when I pay you back, I give you $5? And he was like, all right. And he was good. So now I gotta pay 25% interest on a loan that I took for my four-year-old and all this reinforces what was written in the Bible thousands of years ago, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender, (laughs) which means that every time I take on debt, every time I sign off on a new payment plan for a car, boat, TV or appliance, every time I borrow money to pay for a home, a school, a business or for my son's dinner at the Twins game, I become a slave to the lender. How many of us here have a brand new car, kitchen, or membership that we can't even enjoy because the payment plans are killing us? Advertisers will tell you, well, you can have it all in 40 easy payments. That is not true. I have never met a payment plan that was easy. Payment plans enslave you to people who don't know you and who don't care. The borrower is slave to the lender. The most recent statistics on credit card debt in America came out just two weeks ago. And really fascinating, It found that 50% of Americans have credit card debt, which might seem high to you, but it's actually down 10% from the year 2000. In 2000, 60% of Americans had credit card debt debt, and in just 17 years, it's down 10%. More and more of us are realizing, I don't want to have to pay interest on my credit card. That's the good news. The bad news is that in August of this past year, we hit a milestone. We had more credit card debt than at any other point in US history. Over a trillion dollars surpassed the previous high, which was April of 2000. And eight. Here's what I make of these statistics. While it seems that fewer and fewer people have credit card debt, the ones who do seem to be in deeper than ever before. In fact, one study found that six out of 10 Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, there's no cushion. I mean, any kind of illness, emergency, layoff or setback, and you are in trouble. Broken down cars and appliances are a big deal when you are living paycheck to paycheck. The average American actually spends 136% of what they earn, which means for every dollar they bring in, they are spending $1.36. That is a formula that will leave you enslaved and without options. The borrower is slave to the lender. But here's what I want you to see today. I want you to see that there's hope. You see, in the last two years, we've offered a class here at Eaglebrook called Financial Peace University, and we've had over 1,500 people take this class in the last two years. Those 1,500 people, when they started the course, they had $40 million in non-mortgage debt. If you don't think this is an issue in our country or even in our church, $40 million and we're not even talking about their mortgage. But in just nine short weeks, that group was able to pay off $2.3 million of debt. They were able to set aside a million dollars for cash reserves and emergency fund spending. And they were able to close down 1,054 credit cards. And they're still going after nine weeks. Friends, I am telling you, this is people just like you and just like me. People who attend this church, you can do this. What if every single one of us today adopted God's financial plan for our lives? God's financial plan is different than the world's financial plan. The world's financial plan says this. It says, hey, make as much money as you can so that you can have nicer stuff. Problem is, there's always nicer stuff. There's always an upgrade, and so you never feel like you have enough money. God's financial plan is different. God's not against you making money. We all have expenses, housing, food, transportation, that kind of thing. In fact, there wouldn't be a lot of churches or nonprofits, even schools or hospitals without generous Christians. So God is not against you making money. But God's financial plan comes down to one word. And Here's the word contentment. Look what Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, true religion with contentment is great wealth. I mean, isn't that interesting that having lots of money is different than having great wealth? Great wealth is knowing Christ. Great wealth is being content with what you have. A lot of people have money, but they don't have wealth. They die lonely, discontent, and with piles of cash just lying around. Paul says in the next verse, that's not a real good plan. He says, after all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into this world. I mean, this is a weird picture, but you did not come out of your mother's womb going, make it rain, right? (laughs) Pile of $100 bills, bunch of jewelry and bling on. That's not really how it worked. You didn't come into this world with anything. He said, and we certainly can't carry anything with us when we die. You're not gonna grab a bunch of stuff and go, okay, I'm gonna hold on to this so it gets transported with me into eternity. He says, so, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let me ask you, are you content? If you are, you're wealthy. Doesn't matter how much money you make, the wealthiest people are the ones who know Christ, love their families, and contribute to the cause of the, that God cares about around this world. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, there are principles that are almost like a master's degree in personal finance. Now, of course, the Bible wasn't written to lead us towards financial freedom. It was written to lead us towards Christ and salvation in him. But there are principles in the Bible that if you will apply these to your life, you are going to be so far ahead. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you apply these, you are going to be so far ahead of your peers when you are in your 50s or your 60s, and you don't even have to make more money than they do, that's how powerful these principles are. If you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, I am telling you, God can turn around your financial situation. I have seen it happen over and over again in people's lives, but it starts by adopting three strategies that will help you make your money behave. Here's the first one, start now. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 21. It says, the wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever he or she gets. Here's the world's plan for you and your paycheck. Spend, save, give in that order. The world says, when you get your paycheck, you, you just gotta go out and spend it on whatever you want. When I was in high school, before I was a Christian, one of my favorite rap groups was called Bone Thugs in Harmony. And, I mean, I'm telling you, God's real. He's changed my life. But I loved Bone Thugs-N-Harmony back when I was in high school. And they had this one song where they would sing, it's the first of the month. And the idea was, hey, it's payday. It's the first of the month. So you should just go spend your paycheck on whatever you want. We even have phrases now like YOLO. You only live once. Which means... Go ahead and buy the car or boat or motorcycle because, come on, you only live once. The world says when you get your paycheck, you should just spend it. And then if you have anything left after that, well, go ahead and save that. Usually for most people, it's 5% or less. And then if you have anything left after those two things, then you should go ahead and give. Usually 2% or less. In a lot of cases, nothing at all. That's the world's plan for your paycheck. God's plan for your paycheck is different. God's plan is this, give, save, spend in that order. So God says, everything you have is a gift from me. Your ability to make a living, your life, your breath, everything is a gift from me. So take the first part of that, the first 10%, which I know maybe sounds like a shocking figure to some of you, but this is the tithe. The first 10% and give it, to the cause of Christ in this world. Here's what God says. When you do that, you are showing him that he is first in your life. Not just first in parts of your life, not just first in this area and that area, but not my money and my finances. God, you are first in every area of my life. That's why Proverbs 3, 9 says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Not the middle or the last, the first fruits of all that you produce. So God says give right off the top. And then after that, you should save 10% or more if you can. And this is where a lot of us get a little bit confused. See, I was standing in a line recently and I was listening to these two women behind me. And this one woman goes, Oh, I love your purse. And the other woman said, I know. She said, it's so great. She said, it was 40% off. She said, I didn't even need another purse. I've got like 12 of them at home, but I could not pass it up. I saved so much money. I had everything I could do to refrain from turning around and saying, you did not save money. Money left your possession. You handed it over to someone else. That is not called saving money. That is called spending money. Some of you are sitting next to your spouse and you have to refrain yourself from elbowing them right now, right? There's one in every couple who's like, but I'm saving money. No, no, no. You're spending money. That's what you're doing, okay? Look at what the book of Proverbs says about this The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever he or she gets. So the foolish person says, you know what? I got it. I'm going to spend it. There's no strategy. There's no plan. But what does the wise person do? The wise person saves for the future. Let me ask you, do you take a portion of your paycheck and do you set it aside for future savings or investing? If you don't, you need to start now. A couple months ago, my seven-year-old daughter had this moment of empathy which was great when kids realized that, she said, you know, Mom, I realize that you're always picking up after other people. And you're picking up messes that aren't yours. And she, you could tell she felt really bad about this and she got really motivated and she said, you know what? Instead of doing my one daily chore, Mom, I'm gonna do three chores a day. And my wife said, oh, that is so sweet. Can you unload the dishwasher for me? And Isabel goes, well, how about we start this tomorrow? <laughs> Isn't that how most of us are when it comes to our savings? I mean, we, we know we ought to save. We know we should be setting aside some money for the future. But we say, how about we start that tomorrow? I'm not going to start that today. I've got some bills and some things that I want to purchase. Well, I'm going to do that someday, but I'm just not going to start today. Let me give you a few examples of this. Let's say that you're 25 years old and you make $30,000 a year for the next 30 years. Okay, you never get a raise. It's a pretty conservative number, right? $30,000 from 25 to the age of 55. If you took the first 10% and you gave that to your local church to further the work of God in this world, and then you took the second 10% and you invested it in a mutual fund at a 7% gain, in 30 years you will have contributed $90,000 to the cause of Christ, and you will have a savings of over $283,000. No windfall, no Powerball earnings, just little by little consistency. Proverbs thirteen eleven says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little, he says, will increase it. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're 45 years old and you make $100,000 a year. Now, I'm not even talking if you start in your 20s or 30s, because that's when you start to see big multiplication numbers. But if you're 45 and you make $100,000 a year, if you gave the first 10% and you invested the second 10% in a mutual fund that gave you a 7% gain, by the time you are 65 years old, just 20 years later, you will have given $200,000 to further God's work in this world, and you will have a savings of $410,000. But you have to start now. You can't start tomorrow. You can't start next week or next month or next year. You have to start now. Here's the second strategy to help make your money behave. You have to attack your debt. Last month, I was at a men's retreat with my two oldest sons, and we were playing paintball. And I love paintball. Okay, I just love paintball. And when I got there, I was licking my chops because most of the guys who had signed up to play with us were over the age of 60. Now, if you're over 60, that's not a shot at all. But I'm telling you, one of the guys was like limping. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. I mean, I'm going to dominate these guys. Right before we were about to go out, this truck pulls up and this college age guy gets out and he's wearing a T-shirt that has a picture of Chuck Norris standing next to a cat holding a pizza. Now, there's nothing in this world that freaks me out more than Chuck Norris and cats. And you put them together on the same shirt, and I am like, he's in my head, right? The whole time I'm thinking, this is a scare tactic. He didn't just randomly put that shirt on the today. He knew what he was doing. And the whole time I'm thinking, what does Chuck Norris have to do with a cat And why is the cat holding a pizza? I mean, I was coming completely unglued. We started the first game, and Chuck Norris' cat guy was on the other team. And I'm telling you, I didn't even see him. He was like this killer ghost, but he single-handedly took out our entire team. He did the same thing in game two. Starting game three, I was intimidated. I felt defeated. I wanted to hide behind my bunker and just go in the fetal position and cry. Right? That's what my contribution was going to be to that game. But then I realized that Chuck Norris cat guy was always attacking me before I could attack him. And so I knew what I needed to do. When the horn went off, I sprinted to the midline and I pinned him behind a bunker. And then he just randomly like stuck his paintball thing up and and got me. (laughs) Chuck Norris doesn't die, apparently. But here's my point. When you look at your debt, you are gonna feel intimidated. When you sit down and look at your budget, you're going to feel defeated. You may look at your school loans and want to just crawl into a fetal position and cry. Here's what you need to do instead. You have to attack your debt before it attacks you. Proverbs chapter six says this, save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter. He's talking about the context of debt here. And he says, save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Now, if I could, for just a moment, allow me to go Discovery Channel on you because what is the primary hunter of a gazelle? Well, it's the cheetah. I love cheetahs. They can go from zero to 47 miles per hour in just four leaps. They can reach speeds of up to 70 miles per hour. If you are a gazelle, how do you save yourself from the hand of a cheetah? Well, the answer is, you don't even get close to it. For us, this means that if you're a college student and you're walking through the commons area at your college and you hear somebody go, hey, if you sign up for this credit card, I'll give you a free T-shirt, you run, okay? I don't care if you don't have a clean T-shirt in your possession at that moment, which is common for many college students. You just run. It means that if you have a car payment, that is just killing you. You sell that car and you buy something used and cheaper because debt is hunting you. Credit card companies are hunting you. You better have some gazelle-like intensity. You better attack your debt before it attacks you. Now, how do you attack your debt? Well, for years, we've taught something around here called the debt snowball by Dave Ramsey. And here's how the debt snowball works. Let's say you have $450 that you owe to Lowe's and you have a minimum payment on on that card of $50. Then let's say you owe Target a $650 debt, right? You went to get some toothpaste. You're like, I'm just gonna go ahead, get a little bit of toothpaste. You came out, you're $650 in debt. (laughs) That's usually how it goes at Target, right? You have a minimum payment on that of $30. Then you borrowed some money from your parents and you have a $400 a month car payment. Here's what you're gonna do. You're going to find 200 extra dollars per month. You say, "How am I going to find 200 extra dollars per month?" I don't know. Somehow you're going to find it. You're going to take a second job. You're going to start to sell some stuff. You're going to sell so much stuff your kids are going to think they're next. I mean, you are going to name your dog eBay. You're going to put your cat on Craigslist. If it's not bolted down, you are going to sell it. You're going to eliminate Direct You're going to get rid of expensive memberships. You're going to downsize your mobile data plan. You're going to start bringing a bag lunch to work instead of eating out every day. I don't know how you're going to do this, but somehow you're going to find 200 extra dollars per month. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that 200 extra dollars per month. You're going to add it to the $50 that you are already paying to Lowe's, and you're going to pay that $250 towards Lowe's. In just a few short months, bye-bye Lowe's. This is where the debt begins to snowball. Because now you're going to take that $250 that you used to pay off Lowe's, you're going to add it to the $30 you were already spending on Target, and you're going to apply that $280 to your Target debt. In a few months, Target debt is gone. Then you take that $280 and apply it to your next debt, and the snowball begins to get bigger. Friends, you can do this but you have to attack your debt before it attacks you. Here's the third strategy to make your money behave. You need to say no today so that you can say yes tomorrow. Proverbs 21 again says, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. In that culture, wine and oil were luxuries. In other words, what he's saying is, you can have those luxuries today, but you're going to be broke tomorrow, or you can say no to those luxuries today so that you can say yes tomorrow. I've tried to live this way my whole life. I grew up in Wayzata, and there's probably more economic diversity in Wayzata than you would imagine, but when I was in high school, one of my friends, his parents, bought him a brand new BMW just to drive around as a high school student. My parents were like, we've got a 1988 Plymouth Voyager minivan. It's baby blue color. It's pretty cool. You can drive that. These days, I drive a 2001 Toyota Highlander, and I love it. 16-year-old car, absolutely love it. The only problem is that oftentimes when I turn it on, it makes this screeching noise, which when I'm around church is fine. People around church are like, oh, that's cool. Humble pastor. Way to go. I'm telling you, when I'm out in the world, it's not cool. I was at my son's baseball game, and I tried to turn on my car, and this dad looked at me with the most disgusted look on his face. And you could just tell, he was like, you need to get a new car, and maybe someday I will, but I want to say no today so that I can say yes tomorrow. Considering the fact that I've jump-started that car five times in the last two days, I'm literally saying yes tomorrow, okay? (laughs) I want you to know that. Because you're gonna see me driving a different car and go, he's a liar. No, 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 no. (laughs) Literally, yes is tomorrow for me on this deal. My wife and I, when we were first married, when we moved into our house, we did not have TV or the internet. And she used to get made fun of unmercifully at work. They're like, you don't have a TV? You don't have the internet? What do you do at night? And I kept trying to convince my wife that she should wink at him and be like, you know what we do at night. (laughs) And my wife's like, I don't wanna lie. (laughs) I'm like, you should, it's okay, I think. (laughs) Get your giggles out here because I'm gonna get into something important here pretty soon. When we moved into the house that we live in now, we actually got it for less than we budgeted for. And we did that, we got it on a 15 year mortgage because that was Dave Ramsey's recommendation not to pay interest on a 30 year loan. And we paid that house off in eight years. So now whenever we sell it, all that money comes back to us. Which is why earlier this year when we wanted to move to get closer to our kids' school, we were able to say yes to a house because we had said no yesterday. Let me ask you, what do you need to say no to today so that you can say yes tomorrow? Look at what Dave Ramsey says about this. He says, you can't get out of debt while keeping the same lifestyle that got you there. And that's pretty self-explanatory. But he says, cut out everything except the basics. Now, just to be really clear, the Bible's not anti-debt. I don't want you to hear me saying that. The Bible's not anti-debt, but the Bible warns against destructive debt. Here's what destructive debt is. Destructive debt is debt that doesn't appreciate in value. So, for example, taking out a loan for a house, for school, to start or grow a business, all of those would be examples of debt that could appreciate in value. I would call that permissible debt. Still have to be wise about that, but it's permissible. But the Bible speaks of another kind of debt that doesn't appreciate in value, and that's something like credit card debt. You should never have credit card debt. When you are paying interest on your credit card, you are wasting your money. What do you need to say no to today so that you can say yes tomorrow? Now, I realize that in a crowd this size, that there are probably many of us who you have credit card debt or a car payment or something like that, and you feel embarrassed and defeated, and please don't. I mean, I've made as many dumb purchases as you have. I struggle with these things as much as you do. Instead of feeling defeated, why don't you attack this? Why don't you say, I'm gonna do the debt snowball. I'm gonna attack my debt, and I'm going to start to pay it down. What if for some of you, you say, you know what? I'm, I'm working two jobs. I'm not buying $5 coffees every day, but still money is a source of stress and anxiety for you. What if you invited God into your finances this week? say, well, I have. He, he turned me down on that. No, I don't think he did. God wants to provide for you. He wants to care for you. What if this week you just invited God into your finances and you said, you know what? I may not have everything that I want, but God, I'm so grateful that I have everything that I need. I am content. Some of you may need to take a class like Financial Peace University or sit down and do your budget. That's what happened for one couple in our church. I want you to see their story. Take a look.
1: My name is Miles. Uh, Shannon and I got married in 2015. Yeah, marriage is great. I uh, get to learn a lot. I definitely have grown the most in the last two and a half years being married.
2: When we were dating, Miles and I didn't really talk about money. But when we got engaged, my parents said it was important that we sat down and started learning how to manage our money wisely. And so they paid for us to go through Financial Peace University as an engagement gift.
1: Before we took the class, we had to start talking about how much debt we had, and it's easy to look at your own and be like, okay, I, that's a lot. But then once it you know comes together and you both have it, it's just like, whoa.
2: So when we put our debt together, we realized we had $95,000 in debt. So we had our student loans and we had a car loan. It wasn't necessarily like credit cards and a bunch of unwise spending, but we knew that we needed to get rid of our debt in order to get to the life that we wanted to live together.
1: Yeah, we're both really young. I mean, still early in our career, so we don't make that much money. But we knew that being on a budget, we could still knock it out. And we really were excited about that and we moved forward. So in the class, it taught us the importance of budgeting and um, coming together before every month and look at how much we made and put a name to every dollar and decide where it goes. We realized that we had to make a lot of sacrifices in order to get through this big mountain of debt.
2: So we decided to live on half of our income and cut out things like clothes. So we would shop at the thrift store We would host our friends for dinner instead of going out to dinner with them. We don't have cable. We also chose not to buy a house. We live in an apartment instead. We started gardening because we thought we would save money and all of our food and vegetables would be just right outside. But that ended up actually costing way more money and way more time, so it was not worth it. I would not recommend doing that. We still had fun, it just looked different. So we'd go for walks because that was free. We would go to Cup and Cone and get 50 cent ice cream cones. I went to the library often, I'd stop buying books and i borrowed them from the library instead. Miles does a lot of fishing, that's free.
1: Yeah, it became really oddly satisfying to take our debt total and cross it out and uh, bring it to a lower number at the end of every month.
2: The biggest challenge for me was comparison. All of our friends are buying houses and they're having babies and that is something that we want so badly. We want to be in that season of life with them and right now we are spending our money on our debt instead of growing our family and buying a house and doing all the fun things that our friends are doing.
1: It's really not all that bad. It actually helped our marriage in the long run because it made us have to work together as a team.
2: I know that money is a huge stressor in marriage and for us to have not had to fight about it and to actually be on the same page is amazing. We are forced to communicate. We decide together how we're going to spend our money for the month. So if he's buying seven fishing lures, I know in advance, so I'm not gonna get mad about it because I've already agreed to it.
1: Seven fishing lures?
2: I don't know. You don't buy seven. (laughs) I would never let you,
1: but. (laughs) As of August 30th, we are officially debt-free with a net worth of zero. We paid off all $95,000 worth of our debt in two years and three months.
2: Now that we've paid off our debt, we're literally broke. We have no money, but we can start saving and we can start looking forward to where we want to go next. And we have the freedom to make choices as we move forward into the next stages of our lives.
1: quite amazing to see how God provided and brought us through uh, all of this. We wouldn't have been able to do this on our own. It feels so great to have that weight off of our shoulders now.
2: We've said no to a lot of things in the last few years so that we can say yes to them in the future in an even better way. And throughout these two years that we've been sacrificing to pay off our debt, it's been amazing how grateful we've actually felt that we have clothes, we have a place to live, we have food to eat, we have friends, we have family. Like, what more do you really need? It's humbling to see how God has continuously shown up for us, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do in our lives in the future.
0: You know, Miles and Shannon are a different stage of life than, than many of us are, and, and maybe you're in a stage of life where there's kids, and there's bills, and there's all kinds of other expenses in your life, and we we totally get that, but what if this week you said, you know what? I'm not going to live under this cloud of debt anymore. I'm going to take a class like Financial Peace University. You can find information about that in your program or on our website, but I'm going to take a class like this, and I'm going to start to get a handle on this debt, which keeps growing in my life, and I'm actually going to attack it before it attacks me. For some of you, you say, you know what? I'm I'm not in debt. God's really blessed me financially. We're pretty financially free. What if this week you said, you know what, God? I'm open to the idea that maybe you would want me to give more. That maybe there's a cause in this world or something that the church is doing that you say, you know what? I could increase my giving. That God didn't just give this to me to say, you know what? Spend it all on yourself. But he gave it to me very strategically. It's his. It's his. And I wanna steward that and spend that very, very wisely. Maybe for you, you say, you know what? I'm gonna increase my giving by a percentage or more. Others of you say, you know what? I just don't even know where my money's going. I mean, I wonder where it's going. I think I've got more than I really do. You need to sit down this week. You need to get a budget. You need to start to tell your money where to go. You need to make your money behave. Let's stand and pray together at all of our campuses before we're dismissed. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is just under this weight of stress and anxiety because of their financial situation. God, would you provide for them? Would you help them to recognize the good things that have come from you and to be content knowing they have everything that they need? God, for others of us, maybe financially we've been given a lot. And to whom much is given, much is expected. God, I pray that we would come before you this week and we would just see, God, are you satisfied with the level of generosity in my life? Are you satisfied with the level of giving? Or or maybe is it time for us to stretch a little bit in that area? And God, I thank you for your word, which gives us practical instruction on how to spend our money and handle our money. God, I pray that we would all honor you with what you've given us. I pray we would put you first in this area of our life. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.